Blog Talk Radio. Please stay tuned for Brandon's Buzz. I'm Joan Van Ark, and the buzz is hot. This is Gloria Loring, and I've just been buzzed by Brandon, and I gave Brandon some buzz. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Gordon Thompson speaking. And I want to tell you that I have appeared on Brandon's Buzz, and I had a great time. And I think you will too, so please log on and have a listen. Hey guys, welcome to Brandon's Buzz. It's Friday morning, it's noon here in Texas, it's 1pm on the East Coast, and it's 10am out West, and uh, I have a great show lined up for, for you today with a great, great lady. While I'm waiting for her to call in, let me tell you what's coming up, both on my show and on other shows. Later today at 3pm Central, it would be 4pm Eastern, 1pm out West, uh, Buzzworthy has a, a great show lined up. It's a doubleheader with Crystal Chappelle from Guiding Light and Mary Beth Evans, just formerly of Days of Our Lives. Um, it's, that should be a great show, and I'm looking forward to it. You can find that at blogtalkradio.com slash buzzworthy. Um, next week, my, my pal Joanne at Stardust Radio has uh, a great actor by the name of Seamus Dever. He was on General Hospital last year. He was Ian Devlin on General Hospital. Um, he was on a show called Army Wives on Lifetime, and he's coming up in a show called Castle on ABC. I'm sure you've seen the, the promos with Nathan Fillion and uh, several other great people, and he's a part of that cast, and he's going to be on Joanne's show, Stardish, to talk about um, that show. That's next Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, at Stardish Radio, and you can find that at blogtalkradio.com slash Stardish. And I have a full week lined up next week. Monday night, I have uh, singer-songwriter Anna Eggy. That's at 5 p.m. Central. It would be 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. That's Monday. Tuesday, I have General Hospital star former General Hospital star, Rayal Andrews. Um, he is uh, in the middle of this, of this huge um, uh, lifestyle project, kind of fitness project. You can find out all about him at his, at his website, uh, rayalandrews.com, if I'm not mistaken. And he'll be on this show Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, to talk all about that. Wednesday, I've got Courtney and Nellie, the, the two great young ladies who run the One Tree Hill Web website. It is kind of, it's not, it's not officially sanctioned by the show, but it might as well be. It's, it's the most comprehensive One Tree Hill resource on the web, and uh, they're coming on to talk about the show, their love of the show, how they got mixed up in the Internet side of things. Uh, it's going to be a great show, and my best friend, Sherry Ann, is co-hosting that show because she's the biggest One Tree Hill fan on the face of the planet. I'll put her up against anybody listening. Um, so she's going to help me out on, on that one. That's on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, right here on Brandon's Buzz. Thursday night, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, uh, I've got a great lady by the name of Claire Massey. You probably don't know her name, but she was the lead singer of a band in the 90s called Tammy Show. 
they had a couple of big radio hits, The Truth, Did He Do It To You, She's Only 20, um, a great band, and she'll be coming on to talk about her time in Tammy's show, her time in the kind of rock explosion of the early 90s, and uh, what she's been up to lately since Tammy's show folded. That is Thursday night <clears throat> here on Brandon's Buzz, uh, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. So you can find me at my website, www.blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's the show's official website. You can listen to old shows, you can download old shows, and you can rate and comment on each old show. And I encourage you to do that because the guys at Blog Talk Radio, they really look at those kind of things. They really look at comments. They look at stats. They look at you know listener stats, download stats. All that stuff is important. So by all means, if you're, if you're scrolling through past shows and you see one that even remotely catches your fancy, by all means, download it, and, and you can put it on your iPod and listen to it, or you can listen to it on your computer. And the guys at Blog Talk Radio really look at those things. You can also find me on iTunes. Um, if you type in Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes search box, uh, my name will pop up in the podcast section, Brandon's Buzz, and you can subscribe to the show and, and have it automatically um, download to your computer each time a new show is posted, or you can scroll through individual old shows and, um, and download individual episodes as podcasts directly to your iPod. So uh, it, it's, you know, it's, if you had told me a year ago that I would be on iTunes with the likes of uh, U2 and Kelly Clarkson and George Michael and all the people I love right alongside them, I would have laughed in your face and called you an idiot. But here I am, a year later, I'm on iTunes with everybody else, and it's great, great fun. Uh, so that's, that's two ways to find me. A third way to find me is my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. On my blog, there is a complete archive of old episodes. If you go to the top of the page and click on the, the, uh, the radio, the button, there's a button that says radio in a little colorful bar along the top of the page. If you click on the radio tab, uh, a page will pop up with each show that I've done so far, and you can click on the show, and you can listen to the show, and you can also look at the banners that my great pal Joanne has made for each show for me to advertise each show. So um, that's all set up at, the, at, at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. And by all means, take a look around the blog. We talk about music. We talk about soaps. We talk about life. We talk about politics. We talk about movies. I did an Oscar Live blog last week. It's, it's pretty much whatever crosses my mind shows up on that blog. And uh, same, same with this show. Whatever crosses my mind kind of shows up on this show. Um, so it's, it's great fun. I'm still waiting for my guest to call in. She is six minutes late now. I don't know what's happened. I have not heard an email from anybody. So um, what else can I talk about? Stardish, my pal Joanne, has a great show coming up, not this coming Monday, but next Monday. Uh, it's next Monday night. She has a world exclusive presented by Walmart with um, uh, one of the stars of, of one of last year's smash films called Twilight. Uh, the, the kid's name is Taylor Lautner, and he is calling in from the set of Twilight's sequel, New Moon. And uh, Joanne, along with another host on the Blog Talk Network by the name of Amy Clark, she hosts a show called Mom Advice. Uh, and uh, Joanne and Amy are teaming up for this Walmart World exclusive with uh, an actor by the name of Taylor Lautner, who's going to discuss his time on the Twilight set, on the New Moon set, He's going to, we're going to, it's, you know, this, this whole Twilight thing has kind of exploded in the last year with the series of books and now the, the, uh, the smash hit film. I mean, we're talking about, good Lord, probably a four or five hundred dollar, hundred million dollar, 
uh, gross worldwide for this film, Twilight. So it was a huge hit. It's coming out on DVD in the middle of next month, and to celebrate that, and to uh, uh, kind of whet fans' appetites for the, for the sequel, which is coming up later next summer, uh, it's called New Moon, this kid Taylor Lautner is coming on Stardish to talk all about the movie, the DVD, the books, the fans, the experience, his life. It's it's going to be it's going to be great fun. It's a Walmart World exclusive. Uh, I wish I could tell you what time it is, Joanne. If you're listening to this, you can call in and tell me what time that's all happening. Um, but it's March 9th. It's not this coming Monday, but it's next Monday, next Monday night. Uh, I want to say 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, I can't find it. I can't pull it up. Hang on one second. I will pull it up, and I will tell you exactly what time that happens. But anyway, check that out, www.com.com.blogtalkradio.com slash Stardish, a Walmart World exclusive with Taylor Lautner and my pal Joanne. Um, uh, let's see. Dead air. Don't you love dead air? Don't you love it when the guest doesn't call in and you're sitting here waiting? There we go. Okay, here we go. Okay, Seamus Dever is at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. Okay, Twilight, uh, uh, March 9th, 2009, 9 p.m. Eastern, so that's 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, with my buddy Joanne at Stardish, blogtalkradio.com slash Stardish. Uh, so that's all coming up on the Blog Talk Radio Network. By all means, uh, stay tuned for that, and stay tuned for me next week. I've got a full week next week, and I have a great show today. Let me tell you about a show that I have literally been waiting for since I have been 11 years old. I'm not kidding you. Literally, from the moment we got our first real look at her as spunky singer Nicole on 80s classic smash fame, we knew without doubt that she had star quality, devastatingly gorgeous, with her hair teased toward heaven and just the slightest hint of a bad girl behind those big brown eyes. This girl was going places, and the camera ached to follow her wherever those places were. 25 years later, and through every conceivable incarnation, bubbly TV host, smash pop singer, electrifying butt-kicking action star, and brilliant actress, we're still looking, and we're still hopelessly enchanted. And she's not slowing down either. In addition to her flawless work on The Young and the Restless and her continued pursuits in the music business, she has recently started a gorgeous website dedicated to health and human wellness, and she has graciously dropped by the buzz this morning to discuss all of this and whatever else crosses our minds. In the no-brainer of the century, People Magazine last year named her one of the world's 100 most beautiful humans. And if you're looking for an argument from me, you've come to the wrong place, honey. What a great honor. What a true, genuine thrill. You know, I've been waiting my entire life to be able to say I am pleased to welcome to my show today the fabulous, the ferociously magnificent, the thoroughly divine Nia Peoples. Hello. How are you? (laughs) Okay, first let me bend over for being late and let you kick me in the rear end. <laughs> so sorry. It's okay. Don't worry. You're better late than never. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, I had to get that cup of java, and my uh, my kitchen <laughs> clock is off. There's no lying about it. <laughs> well, it's such a thrill to have you here. I am Literally, I've been a fan of yours since I was 11 years old, and I tell you what, I am so excited. This is such a genuine honor. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, especially with an intro like that. I'm thinking, well, who's got on the show? <laughs> It's you, baby. Hey. <laughs> so let's get the boring stuff out of the way. Give me the 60-second bio on Nia Peoples. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where did you go no to school? no such thing as a 60-second bio, but I was born <laughs> in Hollywood, California, raised, especially when you're my age, 
raised <laughs> basically in West Covina, California. I mean, I did some time in Waco, Texas, and I meant that like that. And I did some time in Waco, oh, well. Texas. See, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in Austin, Texas, believe it or not. So I love Austin. And actually, you know what? Waco was, was okay because my family yeah. was there. So, you know, we're well, good. Do you still have family there? Of it. I do. I still have a lot of family in Waco, Texas. Um, Fantastic. My, yeah. Yep, yep. My dad's okay. from the south. My mom's from San Francisco, and we ended up in L.A. So there you have Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Well, you're going to have to look me up next time you're out here. <laughs> I would love that, actually. You could probably show me a really good time there in Austin. Oh, it's, it's the best. That this is a town happening is the best. town. Yeah, you bet. absolutely. I'm waiting for the invite. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on out here. You've got, you got a place to stay anytime you want one. I guarantee it. Okay, then. <laughs> you, you're so on. <laughs> I love it. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that's it. That is that no. is as oh. close to sixty seconds as I can come. Okay. Uh, so you you moved to Hollywood when you or you moved back to LA when you were? Um, let's see. I only did like a year and a half in Waco. So okay. for all intents and purposes, I grew up in West Covina, California. I'm a Southern California girl. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Started didn't start auditioning and doing that sort of thing until I graduated high school. I mean, I I always tell the story, people always ask me, how did you get into the business? And part of me says I fell into it when I took a friend of mine to a fitting. Um, you know, I was, I was studying voice at UCLA, mm-hmm. and, um, and a, a girlfriend of mine there asked me to drive her to a fitting because, of course, she was from New York, and they don't, no one drives in New York, <laughs> not, not New York City. So I took her to her fitting, and the producers looked at me, and they went, oh, she's so cute. And you can only imagine how young I looked when I was, you know, 18 years old. Wow. I looked like I was 14. It was just pinched, literally pinched my cheeks <laughs> and said, oh, how cute, do you sing? And I said, well, sort of. And they said, do you act? And I went, well, how much does it pay? <laughs> and, and they were looking for a Siamese cat in a children's series. So the producer said, oh, fine, come on in. Um, first send me a tape of you singing. And so I sent them a tape, and they called me and said, we don't believe this is you. So you need to come in and sing live. Because I had a wow. big voice for uh-huh. a little person. So I came in and I sang, and he asked me to bring a monologue. And I'll never forget this audition because I didn't grow up, and we didn't have drama club, really. That I was, I was more involved in show choir. So we were singing and dancing and doing all the musical bits and pieces of, of things. Not, we really didn't get into the drama of it. I didn't start acting until I was, you know, 20. Okay. Um, but I remember preparing this, deep, troubling monologue from A Loss of Roses and uh, standing in the producer's office with him behind his desk. The phone kept ringing, and he kept answering it while I'm going through this monologue. I'm in tears. The door opens, hits me in the back. It was, it was so it was so belittling. And I managed to get through it, and they ended up casting me um, as the lead singer in a band for a, a little children's series called Music Shop. Wow. It really only played in Germany. I don't, I don't even think you can find it anywhere here. But that's how I started with the acting. In terms of performing, I started that when I was really young because my mother was a flamenco dancer when she was very young and a hula dancer. Um, And my father just had a flair for anything artistic, anything. He was an amazing artist and really thought outside the box, really creative, played the drums, musical, the whole, I mean, he was amazing. So they put together a floor show of Polynesian dancing with me and my sisters when I was about, mm, I don't know, fifth grade. And that's how my performing started, really, dancing hula. Yeah. Wow. 
Do you, do you know the origin of your name? Because, you know, it's such an unusual name, and I'm sure back then especially it was unusual. Um, yeah, it was the, actually I had quite an identity crisis. Um, my, <laughs> I did, I swear, because I grew up knowing, thinking that my name was Lisa. So they called me Lisa Peoples up until about second grade. And then my dad said, your name's not Lisa. <laughs> I just looked at him and went, what? <laughs> he said, your, your real name is Verinia. And I just said, that's, that's a big name. And, and he said, so we're going to call you Nia for short. So in the middle of second grade, suddenly I had to tell all my teachers my name was no longer Lisa. <laughs> and I guess that was just a nickname that my grandmother gave me, and so it stuck. And I think my grandmother and my father got in a fight, and he said, forget it, I'm giving her her real name. So wow. <laughs> that's how I ended up with Nia. But Verinia is from the movie Spartacus. Okay. I don't know the phenomenon, yes, and Gene Simmons, play, not from Kiss, obviously, <laughs> yeah. played, played the lead role. <clears throat> and um, just a beautiful, beautiful, she played a beautiful slave woman. And wow. so my parents chose to name me after a slave. How's that? <laughs> That's you know, it's I just mean. such an un- unusual name, and I'm sure back then especially it was. Uh, how many I times never... did you get Nina Peoples? Uh, Nina came around. <laughs> Mia. I got Mia a lot. And actually, um, later... Probably in my 30s, I started hearing um, people called Nia, but not, I mean, there's Nia Vardalos and there's Nia Long, um, but prior to them coming up into public eye, I've never met anyone named Nia. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful name. Thank you very much. Did you hate it back then? No, I didn't. I, okay. You know what? It kind of, I always had a, a very different reaction to certain things um when when something was different about my family or something was different about me and there was a lot that was different about my family uh-huh. um i looked at it as as being something unique and wonderful uh, which is why i think my parents were able to raise mixed race kids that didn't know we were ethnic we i mean we didn't we didn't know we were a minority <laughs> didn't never thought about it you know and and i realized just recently that my parents were married at a time when it was illegal for them to even hold hands in most states. Wow. And so you really start contemplating what that means. I mean, my mother Mm -hmm. was half Filipino, looked like a little Filipino woman, still does, that's a good thing. And my dad was a full-on white boy from Mississippi. Wow. Yeah, and so the things they came through, they were an extraordinary couple. Uh, My dad just passed away a month and a half ago. Mm. <clears throat> it's just the greatest loss of my life, unbelievable. Oh, but bet. what they did to form a family that um, was unique and didn't really fit anywhere, in anywhere, but never knew that they needed to. They, <laughs> the, we just thought we were the coolest, neatest, most unique, everything is awesome kind of family. Uh-huh. And you probably were. I mean, looking back, you you were. Well, all, we only are now, <clears throat> we can say that we are now because we have successfully grown up as individuals and as a family. We have a really, we're a tight-knit unit. So that's success, you know. Yeah. They, they, they succeeded at, at teaching us the right things. Wow. That's, that's yeah. terrific. Yeah. So, you know, one of my questions to you was going to be, how did you kind of adjust to the pace of the soap world, but kind of, Looking over your your resume in pre- in preparation of this interview, you kind of sort of started on soaps, well, which I, I didn't I, realize. Yeah, I had my first bit of acting on a soap, um, but you have to remember that's almost thirty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and and when you start, I, I must have been twenty, I think, or twenty. 
yeah, like 20 or 21. Um, everything is brand new. I had no idea what was going on. It was on General Hospital. And I had a recurring role on that show for a few months and then basically had to choose between that and fame. So my, my entire adult life outside of that little taste right in the very beginning has been in nighttime television. Okay. So it's a, I, I'm really trained in nighttime, but the whole soap thing is so different. I, exactly. They're worlds apart. They are absolutely <laughs> worlds apart. They don't function the same. It is totally different in a hundred ways. Name, tell me where you want me to start. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We'll get there when we get to Y&R, but let's talk about fame. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, how did you get that role? Did you have to audition? Did you get a phone call? I what? did. Oh, no, 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 no. That was at a time, um, like I said, I was 21 years old. That was at a time when I was still uh, going to open calls. I had just gotten an agent because I had that little role on that music shop series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all the other kids had agents. I didn't. I literally had walked off the street with my friend. <clears throat> I walked in off the street and, and got that little job, and so all the other agents came up to me and said, hey, you know, they gave me their cards. Did you need some representation? I went, I don't know, do I? Because I didn't know how it worked. Did you think, well, so, it always happens this way? or, or... I had no idea how it worked. <laughs> Nobody can tell you anything in this town. And it, even now, nobody can tell uh-huh. you. It, uh-huh. It's the truth. Nobody knows anything. That was a, who said, was it David Mamet who said that he wrote? Just nobody knows anything. And it's the truth. And so I got the agent, and then they submitted me for fame along with 9,000 other people, wow. one of which was Madonna, <laughs> which is such a great story because there were 9,000 people that auditioned for fame. This was like... You know, back then, this would have been the equivalent of American Idol now. Absolutely. It was the only show of its kind on television. And it was the show that, you look at the numbers from that show, and I can't remember specifically what they were, but the top shows today can't even touch Absolutely. what those shows' numbers were. But, you know, we only had three networks back then. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going, what? <laughs> no and cable, and three back, then, back then, that wasn't really a monster hit either. I mean, it was a hit, but it wasn't like... No, you know, no. In fact, it was canceled yeah. off of NBC and exactly. And, yeah, but it was an international hit. So, and it and it because it was music and dance and everything, it really had the hearts of America. So we, they auditioned in Chicago, in Miami, in New York, in LA, and all the major cities. And um, all I knew is I had to stand in a long, long line at MGM um, to to audition and just did whatever they asked me to do. And and I remember Debbie saying. Okay, get up and uh, let's try this. Let's try that. And I was—I'm a trained hula dancer. I had never been to a <laughs> dance class, <laughs> you know. So when she would say these things, I had no idea what she was talking about. Plie here and chasse this way. I'm going, go! Oh, don't use the words. I don't know the vocabulary. Just show me. <clears throat> and when I got the role, I'll never forget it because it took them months to audition people. Months. It wasn't like nowadays you go in, you usually hear the next week mm-hmm. if you've got the role. This took months because there were so many people who auditioned. And they waited till like 5.30 in the evening, the last Friday of the last week that they said that they were going to call. And, and I got it. And I got, I got that along with Jesse Barreto and Janet Jackson. Wow. Yeah. And the, the, you know, the funny thing is I, we always joke that, that Madonna auditioned for it. But th- <laughs> it's purely a case of people finding that place that they need to be. Madonna mm-hmm. didn't need to be on that show. She's Madonna, you know. She needed to forge her own path. 
And so Which she most certainly was, did. She absolutely <laughs> did. Yep. Wow. You so know that's how it started. People people think people nowadays think that Baywatch and Hercules kind of started that whole phenom of of you know hour long dramas and syndication, but it was really you guys that kicked that whole fat off. That's right. That's right. We were actually the first first run syndication show on television ever. And the reason that happened was that when NBC canceled Fame, it was so huge in Europe that the BBC picked up the phone and said, look, you can't cancel this show. It is the number one show in Europe. You can't do it. And in Israel, and I mean, it was just incredible. Wow. So they, said, they came up with a formula. They said, look, <clears throat> we'll, we'll, we'll help fund part of it. So they pitched in and, and paid for part of the production. And in return, we gave them, SAG gave them the right to run it twice a week. So if you remember, it ran twice a week. My residuals were outrageous. <laughs> I would get checks for like $10,000 just a month from fame, just some Holy fun residuals cow. from fame. That was back then. That was crazy. Plus, you guys were doing up to 25 episodes a season, I mean, which is yeah. that's yeah. pretty amazing for an off-network kind of strip. I mean, oh, no, and no, it was, it was incredible what we were doing. And, and, and the quality, you know, even now, I, I've got, a, I've got a, ten, a 10-year-old daughter who um, is all into the, the high school musical and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. And I look at that stuff and I go, oh, it's so nice that, the high, that that kind of thing is coming back. But then when I go back and I YouTube some of the stuff we were doing on Fame, <laughs> I just go, oh, honey, sit down before you hurt yourself, you know? <laughs> I mean, they're great, and it's cool, and I think it's, it's just awesome that it's just coming back into the youth. But what we were doing, and I say we because it's, it's, I was a part of something that was so much bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, the talent, what they were pushing in terms of the quality of dance, the quality of music, the quality of acting, the subject matter, you know, it wasn't just high school sweetheart, they were dealing with real-life issues of cancer and losing your parents and adoption and some serious things with some phenomenal hardcore choreography. And we would do that. We had three numbers a a week that we had to do. And that meant for every minute you were not shooting, you were in rehearsal hall A, sweating your ass off, (laughs) learning the next number. And when you weren't doing that, you were driven over to the recording studio to be recording. And when you weren't doing that, you had to jog over to the, um, to the ADR stage to post the show before. I was in heaven because I was so busy. <laughs> it was full of music. Everything was music, dance, music, dance, music, dance. It was phenomenal. And that all came from Debbie, I assume. I mean, you know, her big thing is kind of, you know, uh, creativity with substance. I mean, I mean uh, well, what was it like to... Now, I have to be fair and say that didn't all come from Debbie. That is who Debbie is. And she was, a, she was the big reason that the kids, and I'll call us kids, even though none of us are really kids. Um, we were young. We were late teens, early 20s. Um, she is the reason we held it together because she required that. She was like the leader. But it, it comes from, a, it takes many things to make a show um, rep, be represented that way. Everything from the writing to the directing to the lighting the costumes, the producing, all of it. It takes everybody, to, it's a huge team effort. Wow. And so it isn't just because of Debbie. Debbie was a huge reason that the cast stayed on track. Yeah. I could name a couple of members that wouldn't be around if it weren't for Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> Do dish. <laughs> well, I, don't think, I don't think I have to. It's pretty obvious that, that Dean Anthony Ray, who was just a, a hoot, I mean... Let me tell you something. When I when I started on that show, I had never even said 
shit. Damn. I didn't ever curse. I never heard the F word. I was super hardworking, um, just straight-A student, scholarship to UCLA, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, believed the best in everybody. And when I came on that show and met Gene, (laughs) he just turned my world upside down (laughs) because he was so good at what he did, and it came so easily to him, and he abused it so badly (laughs) that I just went, wow, wow, that's just gift. That is just gift. (laughs) He would come in, I mean, we'd be rehearsing, 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 sweat, step, kick, kick, touch, again, you know, the whole chorus line thing, I just, oh, over and over and over and over and over again, hours, eight hours solid, and then go off and tape. And he would never, he wouldn't even show up to shoot some days, and... (laughs) He'd come sauntering in, finally, at the end of two days of solid rehearsing this dance number, and he'd kick back in his chair, and he'd push back on the, la- on the back two legs and watch it once and get up and turn it out. Wow. He would watch it once and get up and do it full out. You know, me, I, I always do it. Debbie used to hate that I did this, but I would always rehearse real little because, to me, I have to make the connection between my head and my feet uh-huh. so I can remember it, and then I go full out. And Gene would just step up and fall out. <laughs> and he used to do these funny things, and I, it, just, it just made me la- He was hilarious. A set is always pretty intense because for some reason we're always behind. I, I've never finished anything on time. I don't know what the deal is. But we're always behind, and it's always as if we're, we're curing cancer, right? So what? We're late. Okay. <laughs> and Gene would, in the middle of a tense day, he would disappear if he had anything to do and go down into the wardrobe pit because you have to remember, we shot at what used to be MGM. So we had the entire wardrobe pit from all those MGM musicals. So all of that stuff was, I mean, the ruby red slippers were down there. Oh, wow. And he would come, he, one day he came up there and he was in full-on drag. He had four-inch green pumps on and a tube dress that was made out of green sequins and this Tina Turner wig and his makeup was completely beat. And he came sauntering in there and danced, shossang his way through the set, and we just busted up laughing. And he would do stuff like that all the time and get away with it. <laughs> like he broke the tension. <laughs> he was something else. One of the strongest <laughs> men I ever knew. Wow. Strongest. As, as poorly as he treated his body, and he did. He was not good to himself. And I mean, he had his, his own issues, bless his heart. And we all tried to save him over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was so talented and so strong. Strong. One time he lift, he just lifted me up at a party at my house, and so we were dancing. And my the most, one of the most favorite things of mine to do is to get up on the dance floor with a queen and dance, because you cannot. There's just you can get as dirty as you want to get, and it doesn't mean anything. And nobody can throw you around the floor like a good you know queen dancer. And he threw me up on his shoulders and just dropped down into the splits with me sitting up on his shoulders. And I thought, wow. okay. Can you get up now? <laughs> <laughs> but he did. Just just an amazing, an amazing person. You know, we've been hearing rumors about a remake of Fame. Do you know anything about um, anything maybe coming down the pike? There's absolutely a remake of Fame. I'm not invited to be in it. Aww. I know. I wanted to so badly. Is, is Debbie spearheading it, or is it something? Is it somebody else? Debbie is not spearheading it, but she is playing. The only person they wanted to bring back was Debbie, okay. and that makes sense. I was in yeah. the movie, you know. She was in the movie, and she continued on through the series, and she's continued on that path. So she's she's in the movie. 
and it's um, I think they have a lot of semi I don't I hate that word the, the term no name but up and coming <laughs> actors because we have to remember you know I'm 47 now these kids have to be 20 21 22 wow yeah let me tell you something I have a feeling that you could still hold your own with the best of them. <laughs> Um, you know, in some regard, I can, um, but I got to tell you, some of the stuff these kids are doing now with all the acrobats and the, mm-hmm. wow, I just look at that and go, how in the world? I mean, when it, back then, breakdancing was the thing, right? And that's still some pretty amazing thing, but now with all the martial arts, mixed arts stuff that they're doing, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the wushu, they're, they're tumbling and they're twisting and they're flipping and it's incredible. So some of them, yeah, I mean, I, you know what? I, here's what I could do. I find a way to outshine them in a very smart, sexy way. <laughs> I don't know if I hold my own physically in, in a sexy way, yeah. I'm telling you, I'd put my money on you. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I saw you on Walker, Texas Ranger. I know what you can do. Yeah, that was, that was, a, whole other, <laughs> that was a whole other incarnation, absolutely. I was shocked at what, what I learned on that show, most definitely. So after what? fame, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, why? How did you go from fame? I mean, there's a lot of years between fame and and Walker. What oh, path really? do you follow as a TV watcher? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, don't even. I, you don't even want to step inside the psychosis that is my mind. You, you just don't even. <laughs> don't even ask those questions. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll pass then. I'll pass. <laughs> so after fame folded, you get you got offered the chance to host the American version of the British classic music series, Top of the Pops. And right. I want to know all about this, because this was my favorite show when I was a kid. <laughs> Hands down. Uh, well, it's a shame it only went one season. It was really, really a shame, because when you look at the people who were on that show... Everybody. David Everybody. Bowie, Sting, I mean, you had serious, serious people on that show. Um, it's, it wasn't like some of the dance shows that I hosted for MTV. The Top of the Pops, because of its reputation in London, got the top of the top here. It really was the Top of the Pops. And actually, I think that came out of my having a record, because right, right toward the end of Fame, the reason that I left Fame, I left right before it ended, <clears throat> was that I got offered a record deal. So I went off into record-making land, and uh, that's kind of what tied me o- over it kind of bridged the gap there and brought me over into this music thing at uh, at CBS for Top of the Pops and it was really a shame that they just didn't know what to do with it and traditionally or historically speaking music shows have a very hard time finding an audience mm-hmm. um, on prime time Top of the Pops wasn't even prime time it was late night yeah it was it, um, it came on at 11.05 on my CBS affiliate yeah. <laughs> 11.05 exactly and I, um, I would sit there all day just gearing up for it. I swear to God. It was really a shame that it didn't last because we had some people singing live to track. Everybody sang live. There was no lip sync. But there were some people playing live all the way around. Um, and I met, you know, I, I stood up there with David Bowie and he taught me this, how to soft shoe. You know, and just, just the coolest people and the greatest music. And I remember um, Kiss coming in. And uh, bringing their whole entourage of, of women, and <laughs> it was just the full experience. It's a shame you weren't there. Wow. To, you know, to hot, hot, hot dance in the little dance line that we had. Come <laughs> on. It was phenomenal. I, I it was like it was you know it was like a cool hip version of American Bandstand, really. Yes, it was. No, I mean, it, it was, absolutely. It was Bandstand it was, for kids. 
it was, you know, it was, well, Bandstand was kind of, I don't know how to, well, I guess maybe because of where it started, you know, band, I think Bandstand was more uh, American pop music. Top of the Pops was kind of pushing the envelope a little because we, we threw back to, to um, London, Gary, what was his mm-hmm. name? Um, we were kind of on the edge as well, and that's when music was really starting to go world. It was really mm-hmm. crisscrossing internationally all over the place, and so it was it was more edgy, I think, than um, it was more it was more kind of had its ear to the ground internationally than American Bandstand, for sure. You missed it. You should have been. You should have come to visit us on the show. Oh my! Well, I was in sixth grade when that show was. <laughs> <laughs> and your mom let you stay up and watch that thing at eleven o'clock at night. Absolutely. I, I was allowed to on Fridays. I was allowed to. Good for and you. And I, I, I literally lived for it. I tell you what, I, you know, I didn't have a VCR in those days, but I had a little boombox that had a built-in microphone. And so I would put the microphone right up next to the TV speaker, and I would tape it so I could listen to it later. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. And then That'd I could transcribe the, the top 40 singles that you guys counted down because I kept a little notebook with all the top 40s each week. Wow. And I would transcribe the singles. And I still have that notebook, by the way. I still pull it out and, and thumb through it and just, oh. Well, I'm going to have to, you know, uh, when I come through and find, I'm sure that I've got some episodes of, I know that I have episodes of Top of the Pops. No, you don't. On tape. I absolutely do, and I'll tell you why I know. Because, <laughs> this is so funny, for some reason, I have no idea why, my husband and I deci- just got a hair up our butts and decided to go look for the tape of the episode that he came on to because he wanted to meet me. And so his friend who worked with me, uh, introduced us at Top of the Pops. She brought him to Top of the Pops, and he stood at the end of the stage and said, well, hi, Nia. And that's how we met at Top of the Pops. And he went through the dancing that line. Everybody got a hot, hot, hot. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter. And we went yes. through and we found the episode, and there he was standing at the at the foot of the stage. We have episodes of Top of the Pops for you. Wow. If you're nice to me, maybe I'll find some and send them to you. <laughs> Color me blown away. Yeah, I, you know what? I really should do that, and then you should upload them onto YouTube. Wouldn't that be I fun? Was looking for, I was looking for them on YouTube last night. There are none. There are, yeah, some, from, there are some from the British series, but there are right. none from the American version. None. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I was yeah. the only freak watching. I, I... It didn't last very long. That I know. I, I tell you what, years. I'll never forget reading in TV Guide... Uh, last first run episode of the series and I was like what? What? Yeah. They just, just didn't find the numbers. They couldn't find the audience um, that they were looking for. And you know and it may have been exactly what you said in, in that for 11 o'clock at night that is late for yeah. the crowd that was really interesting interested in it. You know? Especially on a Friday. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who's yeah? Who's home at Friday? Oh six year olds. Yeah. They're <laughs> on Friday night. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I'll tell you, there's some some of the worst pictures I've ever taken were on that show too. I don't know what they were doing with my hair and makeup, but woo, honey, you were the hottest thing going back then, and don't let anybody tell you different. Nah, it's just I, I love the whole '80s thing. It's so funny when you have those pictures of yourself with giant hair, giant earrings, and giant shoulder pads. What? <laughs> So you mentioned your your record deal. You know that same year you had your first album, Nothing But Trouble, and you had a huge hit single called Trouble. Right, uh, right. What kind of? Th- I mean, that must have been just the the biggest thrill of your life. You know, actually, it was a real double edged sword because 
if you were familiar with the kind of music that I sang on Spain, the stuff that I that I excelled at, mm-hmm. and my album, they, I really didn't sound like myself on that album. Um, if I if I had to do it all over again, I would have had them give me one producer because I'm a songwriter, and I would have said, look, give me one producer that can develop a sound with me that is mine, and we will yeah. find that space. But they, but back then the whole thing was, ah, you know, let's let's just make a bunch of spaghetti and throw it up against the wall and exactly. see what hits. And so I had ten producers on each album that I did. Wow. So it was all over the place. There, there was some synchronicity in, um, in in the first album. It was a dance album, and they said, well, we're going to dress her up and, because she can dance. We're going to make her a dance artist. And I really, even though I could do it, I, you know, my my soul as far as singing goes, is really very, it's kind of bluesy, (laughs) like bluesy rock. What I like to sing. Now, performing dance stuff is is a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But um, actually, when I first heard the remix of Trouble, I cried, and it wasn't out of joy. And that's a horrible admission. But you have to understand what happens is when you have a hit like that, it takes you on the road. Uh-huh. to promote it, and it's something uh-huh. that doesn't really mean anything to you in your heart. It was just something fun. I mean, I, there were fun things, but it's taking you away from your family. It's taking you away from your life to go promote something that's really just, it, it didn't have a big meaning to me. And and something that I've really come to, you know, in my 40s is that I've always been about messages. I really like to share with people, and I like to um, encourage them. And they, they, I just always have a message, and there wasn't enough of that in there to mean okay. enough for me. So it was a it was a fun romp, but I wouldn't say I was hugely proud of it. Okay. But I'm also well, not going to say that I was no. embarrassed of it because it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and how about your second album? Did you feel any better about about? Um, I did. I did in regard to some of the songs. I I wrote half that album. I co-wrote half that album. So okay. there was some of my voice in terms of the words. In terms of the lyrics, in terms of some of the melodies, I still would have recorded myself differently if I had to do it all over again. But I was young, and I didn't know I needed a producer to help develop what my sound was. Mm-hmm. If you look at Janet Jackson and what she did without hooking in to Jimmy Jam and Terry, mm-hmm. she would not have become who she is. She needed the guidance of producers that could help you know, filter her off into one direction. Absolutely. And for me, I needed, I mean, I think I've got, I don't want to, well, I have, I, how do I say this without, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put Janet down. She's got a sweet little voice, but she's not, um, she's not a powerhouse. She's not a, she's, she's a not performer. Celine Dion. Yeah. No, well, neither am I. <laughs> people are. <laughs> but I have, I have something going on. And I wished that I would have had a producer to help me really um, support that and, and feed it into the right arena. And just now, actually, in the last six months, I put a band together here <laughs> in Malibu, where I live, wow. just to get out and play. And it's so much fun. I'm loving it. Wow. So the second album was, was better for me in that I got to have a, a, a little bit more expression of who Nia is. But again, if you listen to that album, it's all over the place. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny you say that about a producer because oftentimes the the opposite happens. You'll have an artist who has a strong producer, and they'll release two or three albums, and then 
the artist will decide, you know what, I'm going to produce myself from now on. Mm-hmm. And they lose kind of that objective <laughs> voice telling them, you know, you're going too far, you need to rein it back in. And the results become spotty sometimes. I mean, you look at somebody like Prince, and yeah. I'm not going to knock Prince because he's a genius, but yeah. you know, if if you look at if you look at some of the stuff he did with a producer versus what he did on his own, yeah. there's there's no comparison with some of that stuff. Right, and, and well, for some, but but the reason someone like Prince can do that and bounce back is because he's a real genius. <laughs> I mean, he can he has the right because he has the talent mm-hmm. to go bouncing all over the place, and he can he can he can withstand people not responding as well to one. That that's different than Madonna to me. And I'm yeah. not saying Madonna isn't talented, but she's not a musical genius. Yeah. She's a she's a she is a business genius to me. Exactly. Um, she knows exactly how to put herself out and 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 follow a line that works for her. Exactly. Um, and musically, she's been able to do that because she's stuck with the right people and all that sort of thing. And she's developed along the way too, but she knows what her strengths and her weaknesses are. Wow. Prince is just musically amazing. <laughs> he can do anything. <laughs> no argument here. I tell you what, he's. But you know, like I said, if if you compare Purple Rain and Little Red Corvette to to some of the later stuff, I mean, there's just there's hardly any comparison. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I think you need that outside voice, and, and I think I think that is a real dilemma for artists. Um, I mean, you, you're going to grow. You, you think about who you are now and who you were five years ago even, just five years ago, let alone 10, 15, 20 years ago. You've evolved, and you have to be allowed to, to evolve as a person. Well, you do as an artist as well. Sometimes that matches up with what's happening in the world. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> You've got to ride that wave when it comes. That's for sure. That is for sure. But, you know, one of the things that I learned later um, it was not to knock the things that I came through because in terms of music, because even if they weren't my greatest expression, I wouldn't say that either one of my albums were the greatest expression that I had then. I, I didn't step off going, okay, that I exactly what I was feeling is what I put down there. I have total satisfaction as an artist. No yeah. way did that happen. Yeah. But, you know, recently I was uh, talking to a fan and she said, we were talking about my music and she was saying, oh, people love this, they love that. You know, you sang on Young and the Restless, let's put this up. People want to hear this. And we were talking about my second album, and I told her kind of how I felt about it. And she just, she wrote back, we were emailing each other, and she emailed me and said, you know, Nia, I just, I just want to say this, that your album saved my life. And, and it had just been, she gave me this little story about how she was OCD and she was in the hospital. And those songs, on that album, she would listen to day after day after day, and it eventually got her up and out of bed wow. and walking to them. And this, you know, who am I to decide what is Absolutely. going to affect someone else or not? And so I'll never belittle something anybody does, and, and especially myself. I can be, you know, you can be really hard on yourself and not give yourself credit. Okay, so maybe it wasn't the expression that I, I, I didn't fully express myself. But something came through that was important to somebody else, and I will never again belittle that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what can you say to that? I mean, uh, that I mean that must be the the, the most uh, enriching thing to hear as an artist to to you know to know that you touch somebody in that way. I mean. Well, for me, it is. All artists aren't that way. Um, you know, some everybody's not the same. For me, that is the most important thing. That is, I have learned. I have to to define what it is that drives me as an artist, and it really is that. Wow. Yeah. So 
So if I asked you to sing eight bars of Street of Dreams, could you do it? <laughs> eight bars? One, two, three. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams, street of dreams, ah, ah, ah. I love it. What a great song that was. You know, that video is on YouTube. I, I, I looked at it last night, and you were just fabulous with your short hair and dancing well, all over the place. What a, what a great, great song that was. Okay, now here's a whole other story about that one. My hair was down to my arse, but they put it up in pin curls to put it under a wig. No. Yes. Yes. And no we, way. Yeah. It took me two hours to get my hair up in pin curls. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. And and it even goes further than back further than that with the hair issue because I had just done a movie with Jason Alexander called I Don't uh-huh. Like Kisses Anymore, and they wanted I was playing this Italian girl, and they wanted me to have share hair from <laughs> Moonstruck. And so they had me, they said, my hair's kind of dark brown with some caramel through it. They wanted it black, and they wanted it, you know, frizzy. Like hers, hers wasn't frizzy, but it was, you know, wavy, kinky. Uh-huh. And so I went in, and I had my hair dyed black with a little bit, <laughs> they wanted that little bit of red the tone that she had in it, and, and had it kinked or permed or whatever. And for some reason, everywhere I'd had highlights in my hair before, it came out fluorescent orange, so, which might have been hip and wonderful for Cindy Lauper. But for this movie, it was just like, uh-oh. And the producers went, oh, my God. And the hair, was, it was down to my rear end, and it was just everywhere, and, and, and with those bright orange streaks going through it. So I had to go to one of the top salons, and they had to strip all the color out, which, which meant it looked like fettuccine just that color of cooked fettuccine. Oh, wow. And then they had to put color back in. My hair was so damaged oh. that I couldn't even run a comb through it. I had to pick it. <laughs> That's how much hair I had up underneath that wig. Wow. <laughs> of dreams. How did you keep that wig from falling off? Because the way you were moving around, in that, I mean, you were dancing in that video. You were, yeah, you were moving, absolutely. Honey. Well, I had 150,000 pin curls <laughs> up on my head, so they had way more anchors than normal. I mean, that thing was anchored to my scalp. That's inc- I'm going to go back and look at it now and, and see if I can tell, because I tell you what, it's, it looked real to me. I bought it. Uh, well, it's real hair, but the, but the wig. Yeah, was, no. exactly. Yeah, wow. and then they, then they did this thing. When you watch it, you know, there's a part where I – splash into the water and do that sort of thing. In order to get the wig to look the way they wanted it, they put fetoplage in it, um, which is made by Kiehl's, and just had it looking, you know, just PC and all that great stuff. And then they had the bright idea of pouring water over my head so that when I would do my um, turgetes, when I would turn, the water would go splashing off <laughs> into the air, and you could see it lit. They didn't realize that it was going to drip down into my eyes and chemically burn them. So uh-huh. I was blind for two days after that. By the end of that 21-hour shoot, I just went, I can't see anything but milk. Everything was milky because it chemically burned my eyes. Wow. I know, how's that? And you're going, if this is what videos are, I don't ever want to make another one in my life. Well, I'm just like, um, maybe we should think about what's in my hair before we pour it off into my eyes. I don't know. <laughs> What we do for beauty, right? 
So lots of people in the chat room are asking about Walker, Texas Ranger. You know, you did a lot of episodics and a lot of film work in the 90s, and then you kind of landed on, on Walker. Was that a – my sense is that show was a lot of hard work, but it was a lot of fun to be in that ensemble. Is that fair? Or? I'll tell you, the, the, if it hadn't been for the fight scenes, I would have hated every minute of it. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a real boys' club. Let me tell you something. That was such a boys' club. And we shot it in Dallas, which is even more of a boys' club. So they had this sort of love-hate relationship with me um, because I was this, you know, bright, sparkling chick who could fight. And that was great for the show, but it stole some thunder everywhere else. And I, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say I have a big mouth because I don't, but I, <laughs> but I have, I don't hesitate to ask questions. Okay. Um, that, that I feel need to be asked. And I think, too, they looked at me, and, and just when you look at me in person, sometimes you think I'm a lot younger than I am. So when I would open up my mouth and, and make certain statements, I think some of the powers that be there in Texas felt like I was insulting I them. It scared them that I knew as much as I I've already been in the business for 20 years. You know. And I was almost 40. I was 38 years old. So, and, and I think they just thought maybe I was 25. Okay. They just didn't realize, and so they were really offended by that. And it, I really, it was, it was tough. The boys' club thing was really tough, but the fights were so much fun. The crew was a lot of fun. The stunt guys were a hoot. Um, if it hadn't been for the fights and the crashes and all the that action stuff, I, I would have, I would have wanted, I'd have hung myself. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is that when I left the show after being on it for two years, the show ended. I had no nothing I could cut together from a dramatic standpoint because I was hired as an actress. But one of the stunt guys said, you should cut a fight reel, Nia. And I thought, that's ridiculous. I'm an actor. And I and they talked me into cutting a fight reel together, uh-huh. and it's one of the funnest things that I have. I'm so it's, glad. It's on I your did. website. I, I looked at it last night. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I know. I look at that and go, wait, I did that? What? How did I do that? And it used to frustrate some of the, the – um, the doubles, first of all, it was really hard to find a double for me. I think part of it is my size, my coloring. That's, you know, that's yeah. kind of tough. But also to find someone who could keep up with what I was doing was really <laughs> hard. They couldn't do it, so they would have to sit on the sidelines and let me do it. And I have no idea why I was capable of doing any of that. I don't know. <laughs> See, I just really don't know. I think I Because did. you're amazing. Well, no, I think, I think, I mean, physically I'm, I've been given a body that just kind of gets it. But uh-huh. I don't have a lot of martial arts training. That's why when people say, oh, she's a phenomenal martial artist, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great athlete, and I learn really quickly with that stuff, and I can make it look like that. But if I met somebody in an alley, I'd, well, if they could catch me, I'm sure they'd get the stuff in hand. But, you know, it's just I, I got the form of it, and I think that was from my years of fame, dancing on fame. Absolutely. Um, I had a little bit of martial arts training. I mean, I had like a, an orange belt or something. In wow. Tong Sudo, but all that tricky stuff running up walls. I had just a little bit of gymnastics when I was in high school. So you put that all together, and <laughs> there it went. <laughs> it was so much fun. Oh, I, I, I always tell people nothing on this earth was better than when you on that show would just kind of rear back and go to beating the crap out of people with little or no prompting. <laughs> I mean, it was nothing on this <laughs> earth was better than that. You were the greatest. And did you wait? But you had to love the high, yeah, because they would take they would take it, and this would just drive me nuts. And they <laughs> they would post it. And they would always put this crazy key eye in. I'm like, who is that? Yeah, stop yelling. It was a crack up. But you know, I've got to hand it to the stunt guys. Um, they were they worked so hard with me. 
Um, they would always give me whatever time I needed to work that out. Wow. And, and, a, and, you know, a fight scene is only as good as the person who's getting beat up. And that's Absolutely. That's really, really the truth. So I really have to hats off to those guys. Are you still in touch with Judson or Chuck or any of those guys? No. Series, I don't know what the deal is with that. But, you know, you go into a series and you, you spend 12, 15 hours a day with uh-huh. these people. And you get to know their families, and you get to be really tight, or you get to be where you just don't ever want to see them again. <laughs> and then, and then you leave, and it's like it's over. It's it's as if you have so many, um, like like if you had really close friends in high school, or you had really close these these incredible things that happened to you that were life changing in college. But then you leave it, and you go someplace else. It, it's like that. Like you have lots of of segments of life that were that were life-changing, but they don't, they don't intertwine. It's, when you, go, you just go from show to show, it's very strange. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's funny. You know, they always talk about how it's – because you, you see these people more than you see your own families, uh, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny how you just kind of – when it's done, it's done. Yeah. Well, yeah. you have to go on, you, you go on to the next show. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then what are you doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, then I, you don't I, have any time to do anything other than that, so – well, no, and then you really weren't hanging out with those people except on the set waiting for your shot. There was very little, and, and part of it is, is me. I've, always, I've been raising my son almost 20, so I've had kids for 20 years. So when I go home, I want to be with my family. Absolutely. So that part of that really is me. So let's talk about Y&R right quick. Um, uh, you came on that show as kind of a, a smart political operative in a senatorial campaign. Yeah, and, and then, then they you, forgot all about that. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly. You you kind of hit it off with Kristoff, and then you moved into a whole other place on the canvas. Um, right. Uh, how, how did you get that role? Did you did you audition for that, or did you get a? Well, they called. Yes, I did. I went in and read with them just to make sure everything was right. But the, okay. when they first called, I went. <laughs> it's funny. My agent called me and they said, Mia, they they want you to come in and meet the producers. Um, they're looking for a 23 year old black woman to be the love interest for Kristoff St. John. And I went. Uh, 23 and black, no and no. <laughs> it's like, a, a, I'm nowhere near 23. Um, I could be a 22-year-old's mother, um, and B, I'm not black. So, I, no, I won't go in and meet them if, if that's really what they're looking for and, and tell them no. So they went back and said, told them what I said, and they said, no, 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 just just bring her in because, we, you know, if, if she's really open to something like that. And so then I, I, I never really cared for soap operas. I just I don't watch much T V anyway. Yeah. But that's that um that format to me just never really interested me. Mm-hmm. And then I started talking to some people who had done soaps and I found out what the schedule was like. <laughs> <laughs> that they start mm, taping at about, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning and they are out by five or six. Okay. And that because there's such a huge ensemble cast you usually work a day or a half a day or a day and a half every week. I gotcha. And I had said just that in that season, I had said I don't want to do another nighttime series because I want to move into something else. I mean, moving into my 40s, about, about, about the time I hit 43, I really started looking at what I was doing. You know, the A roles weren't coming my way. I had never broken through and had that huge hit for me personally, mm-hmm. um, either on television or on film. I have been on two huge hit shows, but they were ensemble casts, and yeah. I joined them after they were already hits. 
Exactly. So it wasn't like I created that. that you know, I did not make my specific mark there. And same thing with film. <clears throat> and I love acting. I love singing. I love writing. I love all of that. But it's not. It is not the thing that drives me. Um, so I, I really, in this time in my life, and I think it has to do with being a woman in her 40s. You just feel like you had become so much more than you could put a label on. Mm-hmm. And you want to satisfy whatever that is, and the first thing you have to do is define what it is. And so I had said very specifically, I do not want to spend 12, 15 hours a day on a set because there's something more important going on in my life that I need exactly. to discover. And so when I heard about the schedule, I went, well, that might be a good thing. <laughs> and you know what? It was awesome. It, I, I mean, it's a trade-off. It's a real trade-off. Because let's, let's put it this way. When you shoot a film, you'll shoot three or four pages a day. Yeah. When you shoot a TV series, eight, nine pages a day. That's really humping. Okay. My first day on Young and the Restless, we shot 103 pages. <laughs> 103 pages. And how many retakes did you get? <laughs> None. And that's, that is my thing. I don't know. I go in, you take it, and it's done. It, it takes them like 10 minutes a scene. And I'm used, I remember walking in there going, what are they doing? Because you know, when, you shoot a, when you shoot on film <clears throat> or when you shoot a film or a nighttime series, basically the way it goes is they call you in for rehearsal. <clears throat> you get onto the set. The, and they say, let the actors have the set. The actors take the set with the director. They work through what's going to happen. You know, they, they, they rehearse it, and then they see what the set is. They see what the props are. They figure out what's going to work for them. The DP watches. The directors watch. Then the cast goes away, and they design their shots okay. according to what we've set. And then they light it. And it's, <laughs> it's a long, <laughs> long process before you ever actually get to shoot that scene. But here... You walk on, and you're, you've got three or four cameras running at the same time. And so the cameras are choreographed. The director has already di- choreographed where you're stepping. You don't get a rehearsal. They say, okay, Nia, you walk in the door on this line. When you say this line, you turn and face left. And then when it comes to this line, you're on camera four. And you're like, what? So there's no freedom as an actor to really work the scene out to the best of its ability. But... The the upside to that is it's like a boot camp for acting mm-hmm. because what you learn to do is throw out anything that you've learned and be real. You have to be so in the moment. And when you train for acting, that's really, you know, it's living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Exactly. So one of the other things that I can't do as a soap actor is really ask a lot of questions because they're, they, they write so much material that a lot of times if you if you ask too many questions that go too deep you're going to find conflicts and then it's really difficult for you as an actor if you know something that you're saying isn't true you have to find a way to make it true <laughs> and so you know, and the fast. practice is i'm just going to take what they're telling me and i'm going to believe it wow and i you hit your mark and you and you make it as real as you can the wonderful thing about working with christoph is that he listens to me and he's good on his feet. I mean, he comes in and he's not prepared a lot. <laughs> so he, he won't remember dialogue and he'll mess that up sometimes. But, but I really push him and, I, and I, I push him to listen to me. And he listens and so he can respond appropriately. And that is the other half of it right there. So when I get a scene with an actor who's not really listening to me, it can be problematic. <laughs> it really can. I mean, I had a scene with, um, with someone a couple of weeks ago, and it was dramatic. 
And I, I mean, I was, I had already come to a place where I was livid and ready to rip her heart out. And, <laughs> and so I, my lips were quivering and I was, I mean, had there not been a table between us, she would have probably would have been taken down to the floor. <clears throat> and she didn't have very much to say in the scene, so she could remember kind of what it was, but she wasn't receiving what I was saying or, or what I was feeling. And so the, the director actually stopped it, and the producer chimed in over the, the intercom and said, look, you've you got to you got to get in the scene here because this is a really dramatic scene. You might not have a lot to say, mm-hmm. but you can't be reacting that way because you're acting like nothing's going on and there's all this going on on the other side. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so then they let the, they did it again and they let the scene continue on. And the more I drilled her, the more I drilled her, I drilled her, drilled her, drilled her, drilled her, she was forced to listen to me. And then she was so caught up in it and drawn into what I was saying to her that she couldn't remember what she had to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, just go again, go again, three, four times. Okay, great, let's go, go now. <laughs> so the great thing about Christoph, like I said, is that he listens, and he can go with it right now, because there have been a handful of scenes where I've had to walk in and just cry, and I don't rehearse that anymore. There used to be a time when I was younger and just kind of working my craft where I'd have to set this whole thing up, and I, you know, you do your backstory and and do an as if, and what am I going to do to bring myself to tears here? What does this really mean to me? But I've gotten now to where all I have to do is listen. If I already know what that guy means to me or what this subject means to me, mm-hmm. all I have to do is be empty. And when I sit there, the words push me in the direction, and then it happens. So it's 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 grown into an entirely different thing for me. So Christoph goes with me with that. He doesn't he doesn't make me rehearse it because to me I could over rehearse it and then I'm just push I'm not, I'm reaching for something I don't want to reach. I want something real to happen. So it's it's an interesting process for sure. You know, given given the monumental history that he has on that show with another woman, mm-hmm. how tough was it for you coming in to fill that slot? Well, let's see. I run the risk of bad-mouthing somebody else whom I've never met, um, and I've never even seen her work. Yeah. The, the, they were very thankful that I was there, and that's all I can say. Okay. They were really thankful and open. Um, I think that they were happy with her work. I don't think that they, they gelled the way that they worked, and it wasn't really just Kristoff. I okay. think there were some set issues. Um, I don't know. I wasn't there, but yeah. um, you know. I but I mean, just just wait. in terms of, of fan response, uh, was there any kind of? Did you I feel any kind of pressure on you to? No, okay. no, because I, I don't ever measure anything like that. I'm me. Okay. You have to remember, you're talking to someone who doesn't fit in anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> My last name is Scottish. This is a Scottish last name, and I can't play Scottish. I'm not really Mexican. I'm not really, I mean, I am Spanish, but I can't play Spanish. I can't play Asian. I can't play Italian. I mean, I I can't play any of those, and I can play all of them. So if I had to try and fill somebody else's shoes, if I ever had that mentality, I never would succeed. I can only be me and be the best of who I am. And, And I think that's part of what helps me sustain and be kind of normal in this business. There have been a handful of things, that roles that other women have gotten, and every time I sit in the theater and go, ah, and I look at her, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think ever once I've gone, oh, I see. Uh-oh. Hello? 
You there? Oh, yes, I am. Oh, that was weird. It said I, This voice said, you're now in the host queue. <laughs> oh, that, that happened to somebody else the other day. I don't know what okay. that is. It's a, it's a quirk uh, in the system. <laughs> who, I mean, who is that woman and what kind of voice has she got there? <laughs> So are you are you enjoying seeing Karen's kind of feisty or more conniving side start to emerge slowly? Oh gosh, yes. It gives you know for the first year and a half, all Karen was was a prop for Chris for um, Neil, and and that really what happened was the the executive producers wanted to Lynn Lathan was was executive producing at, yeah. the, at the time, and she wanted to bring a love interest in for Kristoff, and then once she hired me and signed the deal, she realized. Oh, it's too soon. His character can't have a love interest. Oh, God. we got to do something else. Okay, we'll do this. And that's how I ended up the political savvy chick that I was. I got you. <laughs> um, and then it started rolling over into Kristoff, and then the writer strike happened. And Lynn left. She was striking. So another producer stepped up, and he sort of started filling in, and then I started singing in the club. And then he got ousted, and some other producers came in, and then I wasn't singing in the club anymore. I mean, just all over the place. And actually, this is a really funny story, too. The new producers who came in tried to let me go. <laughs> and this, is, this is really funny, because um, I've never done anything like this before. But uh, the, the way that contracts work um, in soap operas, which is – crazy to me because uh, like I said I've, I've, I've been in nighttime. I, uh-huh. I, I get in nighttime, you get pay or play so that means if you sign on to a series and it's pay or play baby so if you want to cut me loose after the second episode you got to pay me out for the rest of it and uh-huh. um, it doesn't matter if I you know that's you have to be that committed to me uh-huh. but here you sign a three-year deal but it renews every they have the right to let you go every 26 weeks okay. so they have to um, it automatically rolls into to the next 26 weeks unless they tell you six weeks prior to the end of that of that cycle and so i got (laughs) i got a call after the new producers came in and they said look we we, we're we're not going to pick up your option because it has nothing to do with you and i just went you know they said you're fantastic actress and it's wonderful but it's just we're going to take the storyline in a different way and i just well thanks for telling me that but i got 25 years of doing what i do to know that i'm good enough for this i appreciate but okay and then i looked at my contract and i realized that they had just already rolled into the next 26 weeks and i called my agent i said they can't let me go And I wasn't ready to go yet, personally. I mean, I took the job for personal reasons. Uh-huh. And they had to keep me on wow. for another 26 weeks. And then that's when the role started getting good because they were forced to write me into the, to the Tyra Anna uh-huh. um, lineup, that, that storyline. And it, it's much more interesting than if they had just let Absolutely me go. Absolutely it is. You know, don't, don't you think in real life that you would, have, you would have already kicked that annoying Tyra's ass right the hell out of Genoa City and be done with yeah. it already? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, to tell you the truth, I, I, I would have, well, I guess they eventually, see, I did leave Neil, but not soon enough. I, I would never would have put up with his mess with Drew. <laughs> Take the freaking picture down, dude, and get rid of the wedding ring. Call me when you're done. Nia and Karen had some real conflict going on there. Because <laughs> Nia never was up with any of that. So it was just, uh, okay, I really had to, Find, like I said, it's all about finding the truth. I had to find a truth in there. And I think with with the Tyra thing, that the way that I justify that in myself is that Karen 
now really is invested in a family yes. because Anna is involved. This is her, in her mind, for some reason, she can't come up with other options, which Nia has done a thousand times, but <laughs> for some reason, Karen can't come up with other options. She's, she's just hell-bent on having Anna as her daughter and making Neil and Anna and her a happy family. And so the, the thought of kicking Tyra out of there means losing Anna. Yeah. And so there's, it's, very, it's much more complicated now. Okay. How are you guys enjoying the Paul Roush experience? You know what? Well, tell me what you know about Paul. Well, uh, you know, I, I followed one, one Life to Live was my favorite show, my favorite soap. And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of started watching that show when he was producing it. And I've always kind of followed him. And, and you know, I've, I've read several articles about him. And, you know, he's, he has a reputation for being very intimidating, very – maybe dictatorial is not quite the right word, but, you know, kind of always smoking a cigar, <laughs> yes. rules with an iron hand, you know. It's, yep. So I'm just kind of wondering if, if he's actually yeah, a teddy bear in real life. or, or if... No, he is not a teddy bear in real life. But <laughs> let me tell you something. The show needed him. You bet. The show needed him because we were all over the place. Mm-hmm. And there is this weird thing, and I, don't, I just don't understand this, but there is a lack of communication between the, the creative powers that be and, and what they call talent, meaning the actors. Okay. They don't like to talk to each other. I can pick up the phone and call Maria Bell and say, what's happening with the character? It's going to help me know where you're trying to take her so I can help make choices that push that further, and she won't return my phone calls. I mean, it's weird. Like, will somebody talk to me here? What's going on? <laughs> and and it was, everything was secretive, and you know, people were getting let go, and nobody would say anything, or they were trying to do this and trying to do that without giving information. Uh-huh. When Paul came on board, he really tightened it up. And it's, look, budgets are being cut everywhere. That means we've got to tighten our belts. That means if everybody wants to keep their jobs, then we've got to get out of here on time. That means, actors, you've got to have your poop in a scoop when you show up here. That mean, you know, so, yeah, it's with, a, with an iron fist, but he's smart. He knows what he's doing. Absolutely. And things have really clicked along much better. And also, he doesn't let crap go by. So where, where someone might just wander through these scenes and, and – in Neil's storyline, there's so many people. I mean, you've got the, you know, both the kids, and you've got Tyra, and you've got Anna, and you've got me, and then you've got the aunt, and and you've got the music, and it's just like what? it's just hordes of people in a room at one time. Plus, he has a job, and you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> I have a job, but I haven't figured out what it is yet. And uh, <laughs> I specifically asked, and no one can tell me. Um, so. You know, we, we, it's really easy when you have that many people in a scene to just let it fall apart, mm-hmm. um, both when they're staging it and when you're shooting it. And it's, re- it's real hard to keep people driving toward what they're driving toward. And, and Paul makes us do it. He won't let us get away with it. He'll say, guys, 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 this is an important <laughs> scene. Look, Devon, this is what's happening to you. This is your scene. Drive it. And he'll say that. He's never had to say that to me <laughs> because I feel that way. There's a bit mm-hmm. of me that is a producer and a director, and I'm just a storyteller, and I can't stand it when stuff falls apart like that. Get Absolutely. in the game or get off the stage. Absolutely. We're wasting everybody's time. So, you know, it's – and, and these days, literally, time is money. Absolutely. Literally. Time is, is way more money than it, yeah, <laughs> because there is less money. Absolutely. Yes. Everybody, everybody's feeling the crunch. 
You bet. So he, I'm, I'm really glad that that he's on the show, and he's been, he's real, um, he's real matter of fact. He's, a, he is like, he is like a Hollywood producer in some ways, but old time in that he knows the craft. Mm-hmm. You know, the new school of Hollywood producers, a lot of them, they've never even set their foot on a set. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're talking about, but they're going to make decisions. And they have no idea the domino effect that it creates. But Paul knows what he's talking about. I mean, I had um, scenes. Which one was it? I've only had, I would say I've had a handful of really good scenes. Um, beginning with the, the scene that they tried to write me out on when I said goodbye and went to New York. <laughs> that was the first good scene I ever had. <laughs> oh, and the funny thing was, the funny when they let me go the week before, they said, well, we, well, we want to keep you on as a recurring role. We're not going to write you out of the city or anything. And sure enough, all of a sudden, boom, suddenly there's a script. Nia, you've got to work tomorrow. And I read the scene. I go, oh, hello, I'm moving to New York. What are you talking about? Liars. Like, why do you have to lie? What do you think, I'm not going to show up or something? <laughs> so um, it was the scene where I had, I had to tell Neil that I couldn't have children. And, um, and when I finished, Paul comes out of the booth. And the way that it's set up is, is – the, the powers that be are not on, on the set. They're in a booth watching everything on, on screen. And then you hear this voice come over, <laughs> come over the intercom. And he walked out of the booth and came over and just pat me on the back and he said, great job. That's it. And, you know, and he's told me, you know, when we've had difficulties with certain things, he'll talk to me and, and he, he, he hears, he listens to everything that I say because he, he, he knows. He said, Nia, you know, you're, the most professional person on this set, and you elevate everybody else's work. Wow. You know what you're doing, and we really appreciate that. And so, you know, if you know what you're doing, he's going to – he has – you've got his ear. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm glad suffer- that he's there. He suffers no fools, I understand. No. No, no, no. <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing, he's, he's going to call you out. Exactly. But you better know what you're doing, and you better be prepared. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need on that show. Because it's – I mean, honestly, when it's – Think about it. People have been on that show for 20 years. Oh, you bet. You find and, a way and to more. Yes, <laughs> I know. You find a way to make it work without really working. It's <laughs> <laughs> just what happened. <laughs> so let's talk about your website right quick. You know, it's utterly gorgeous, and it's kind of devoted to wellness, fitness. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I, I, I mean, I would ask you how you got involved with this, but it sounds like you've always been involved with it, and even on the periphery. I mean. It's, well, I think there's always been there's just always been this part of me that loves to share. It is what I love the most about what I do. When someone say, "Well, you know, what's your favorite thing? Do you like acting more than singing or writing more than directing?" And I can't say because when I'm in the moment, I love what I'm doing the most then. The thing that I love is communicating. It doesn't matter if I'm writing, it doesn't matter if I'm speaking, it doesn't matter if I am directing or acting. I'm communicating something that I think is important. And so, you know, going, coming through, like I said, when I hit 43, I went, ah, <laughs> what am I? I'm so much more than any of this. I'm not going to keep going to these stupid auditions to get a role and think that a role is going to be something that opens up. That was a great thing for me. Those things, I'll go, and those, those are, but those are bits and pieces of who I am. They are not the whole of who I am. I have so much more to share now. Um, and over the years, people have come and asked me about, especially now that I'm in my 40s and I'm holding up pretty well, people are continually asking me, how do you do it? How do you Mm -hmm. stay fit? How do you keep your feet on the ground? How have you sustained in this business as a woman of color? Which I 
which I didn't even know I was until I was nominated for an NAACP award. <laughs> I never thought about it. And I went, oh, I'm a person of color? Oh. <laughs> so, oh, thank you for including me. Now you tell me. <laughs> yeah, geez, I never knew that. Um, and, and so I, these people contacted me from New York, and they said, Nia, we want to brand you. Um, and it took me a year and a half to figure out what that branding is. And so what that meant was a year and a half of of having me write and write and write and write and create a, a, a DVD outline, like an outline for a fitness DVD, an outline for a beauty regimen, an outline. And in doing all of that, you start seeing a commonality between all of it. And it really has to do with the philosophy and life. Um, and that's how the whole website came about. I would love and, – and it's just – it's, it's – it's in its infancy stages, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that's what this is geared toward. My, toward. my whole thing is that women are so complicated and beautiful and wonderful. We are just wired differently than men. And we carry so many things at one time. And the, the first thing I say to anyone, like when they say, God, how do you stay in shape? Oh, how do you have kids and have a job? Or how do you keep your skin this? Or how do you walk your dog in the morning? Whatever it is. And, the, you know, the answer is the first thing you have to do is embrace yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not me, and I'm not Celine Dion. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, uh, but there may be someone who likes the way I sing more than the way Celine Dion works, uh, uh, sings. I have my own thing. <laughs> Nobody else can be me, and I can't be anybody else. And when we accept who we are and embrace it, then we can be the best of who we are. You're and about. so that's really what this is about. It's encouraging women to, to find a way and a philosophy to, to really be the best. And, and that means be the happiest. I think being the best of who you can be is going to make you the happiest. And then it also goes into some practical things because God knows I've, I've been through a lot of ways of training physically or you know, ways to make my breasts look better or <laughs> you know, whatever, what, what shoes work best, all of those things. I've been through all that. So there's some practical things in there as well. And eventually I wanted to push into a product, you know. Absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a great blog. Uh, uh, you know, I've I've been blogging for close to a year now, so I kind of pay attention to other people's. Is, is they written by you, or is there a team of people kind of working with you on the site? Oh, there's one other person working with me on the site. Okay. And her name her name is Jessica, um, and she is she is a fan who created a site in Sweden. Oh, and it, it once started winning some awards, and, and somehow, wow. I, don't, I don't even know how I got in touch with her. She got in touch with me. And so she's been running my international fan site for years now. And she's lovely. Um, and she's a, she's a teacher who is just, she's the one who had OCD, and she's a teacher, and she's moving through these other things. So I kind of became a little bit of a mentor, and she is setting up all that website stuff. And it's, it's very therapeutic for her. It's therapeutic for me. I'm the only one writing on the site right now. Um, so any articles or blogs or anything you see, that's that's me. But I'm going to I want to open it up to a few other women. Um, I want her because she's a fabulous writer. I just figured this out last week. Um, <laughs> I got, why haven't you been writing? So she's in her 20s, and I want her to to write an ongoing sort of blog or articles about things that she's facing or coming through in her 20s. I've got another friend doing it in her 30s. I'm in my 40s, another friend in her 50s, and then my mom in her 60s who just lost her husband of 50 years. Absolutely. Um, and, and coming through grief and loss. So, and then I'm going to have a little space where I'm going to have a guest, a man, write 
something that he's learned about a woman or something that fascinates him about women or something that he just noticed that's incredible <laughs> about women or a woman or a girl. Um, just because I don't think women understand the things that men appreciate in us. Absolutely. So those are some of the things I'm adding on. But right now all the writing is mine. That's fantastic. I want to tell everybody it's, it's neapeoples.org. Yeah. And there are there's a blog, there's all kinds of fitness articles, there are pictures, there are videos, there are, you can listen to music. It's it's really a great site. It's it's And it's coming along. There like I said, we're just we're we're greasing the wheel now and there's going to be a lot more coming on through it in the next couple of months. Absolutely. So what's on the horizon for Nia Peoples? Well, actually, I've moved into producing as well, which is great. I um just sold a pilot to TNT for a show, a reality show called The Teen Whisperer. Um, yes, and so you get what that is. But I have, I've got a very good friend of mine in Montana who is a cowboy slash teen therapist, and he was my son's therapist, uh, and it just has a way with teenagers. And it's such a difficult thing. Being, being parents of teens, it's really hard. I don't know. They're like little aliens. <laughs> but, you know, the, the basic premise is that when a teen has an issue, it's really not the teen's issue. It's a family issue. And, it's, and it could be as simple as communication. But what we're doing is we're, we've created a show where we take two or three families onto a ranch in Montana, supposedly. I don't, we, we haven't found the ranch yet. We're just getting ready to shoot it. Um, and we put them through these, these therapy programs and these um, processes where we use what's on the ranch, like fence building or, or chicken cooping <laughs> or uh, uh, wrangling or whatever, camping. We use those as some of the processes through which they learn about themselves. And it's wow. really an emotional process. I had to go through some of these processes, not on a ranch, but it's incredible the, the deep digging that it makes you do. And it, realizes, it makes you realize what your part of the trouble in your family is. And it makes you confront and deal with it. And so that's I'm producing that right now for TNT. Um and then And do we have I, an air date or or um No, no, we have no air date of, yet. We're okay. we're shooting. We just got uh, there's something that we've got to turn in April 30th. It has to go through the pilot first. I got so, you. So, I mean, we just got word that that the deal is is done, which is fantastic because it actually took an entire year to do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm doing that. Uh, I'm talking about writing, well actually I am going to write an article for a new magazine that is launching in May called Women of Wisdom. Okay. And it is the women's version of Performance Magazine, Professional Performance Magazine, which has okay. a huge readership and they've had people like Richard Branson, Desmond Tutu, um, Donald Trump, Barack Obama write for, it, it's just it's a power magazine, like how do you do this? It's a how-to, they write articles on how-to. So they've asked me to be in the inaugural, write something for the inaugural magazine, which is really wow. exciting for me because that's where I'm headed. That's that's really what I want to do. Um, I mean, alongside directing, I can never let any of that go. <laughs> so I'm I'm doing that. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So that's where everything's moving for me, and and then I've just signed with put a put a new team together to kind of get stuff off and running in in areas that point in that direction. So there might be a reality show. I've got a son who is a phenomenal um, musician. I mean, okay. his stuff is so great. What is his Second Story Wings. If you, if you go on to – I'm so horrible at this stuff. Not Facebook, <laughs> but um, – MySpace? 
My face. <laughs> I hate that stuff. I can't. I'm like, I'm so not that generation. But it's so important. I think it's great for other people. Um, but on his MySpace, I think it's Second Story Wings. Um, okay. Yeah, or you could just punch in Chris Hewitt, H-E-W-E-T-T, and check out his music. He is phenomenal. He's he's like the next Brandon Boyd. And oh wow, okay. Uh, he's and he's an amazing artist, phenomenal writer, plays guitar, plays drums, and the stuff that's up isn't even correctly recorded. It's stuff that he kind of went into his friend's room and recorded all wow. himself with one other friend. So he's looking for a record deal where, you know, Randy Jackson approached us about some things. And, and so there's a, there is the possibility of a, um, of a reality show with him. Um, the title's been tossed around called Raising a Rockstar, and it's really <laughs> about him trying to do his thing while being 19 years old. You know, he's, he's, one thing is he's trying to put his band together and get a deal, and the other thing is he needs to find a job <laughs> so he can, you know, at McDonald's or something, so he can... <laughs> Pay for his food instead of having mom pay for it. Um, and it's my raising, even though he's not, I'm not technically raising him, I'm still raising him. So as an artist wow. and as a mother, you know, my next lesson to him is that no matter what he's doing in life, he needs to know that he's an artist. Whether he's being paid for it or not, it's important Absolutely. that he does it because it's, it's who he is. You know, I'm a, I'm a writer myself, and and I took I took a great writing class years ago. I mean, when I was first when I first got out of high school, and and the greatest piece of advice that I've ever heard in my life, I got in that class, and yeah. it was, do not ever call yourself an aspiring writer. You are a writer, no matter if anybody reads your stuff, no matter if you ever get anything published, you are a writer. You're not an aspiring yeah. anything. Nope, that's absolutely. Oh, that's that's and that's great advice. Yeah. That is great advice because you, you have to understand that what that means. Being a writer doesn't mean you're a writer because somebody else says you are or because exactly. somebody else paid for an article. You have exactly. to understand that that's who you are, and so you have to express that. So, you know, speaking of advice, I'm sure, I'm sure you get asked for advice all the time on how to break into the business, how to be an actress, how to be whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what do you tell people when, when someone asks you for advice on kind of breaking into the biz? Well, I think there's there's a couple of things that are really important. You know, structurally speaking, it's really important to continue growing your craft, whatever that craft is. If it's acting, if it's singing, if it's writing, continue to hone your craft. Never stop doing that. And the other bit of advice that's, that, that's difficult to, for some people to accept is that nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> so don't let anybody tell you that they can make or break you because they can't. You, your individuality, this is one of the wonderful things, but also one of the things that makes it so um, difficult to grab hold of. One of the wonderful things about this business is that there's no definition for best. You know, I had to write a paper in college um, when I was uh, trying to get a, the scholarship, and, and I had to write an essay on art. And I looked up the definition of art, and it was anything that is aesthetically pleasing. That, come on, what's aesthetically pleasing to me may not Absolutely. be to you. And that's, the, that's my statement. Whoever you are, do it to the best of your ability, and it will find its, its opening. You continue to hone your craft so that you have more tools, and then you be, allow yourself to be the best of who you are. And that brings you to the top of your own pool. It finds its space. But if you, wow. if you struggle on trying to be somebody else, 
you're just going to be behind that person your entire life. You bet. You can learn from other people. You know, if you're a singer, you can you can throw in uh, Celine Dion or whoever <laughs> and try to copy those riffs as an exercise. Uh-huh. But you're going to eventually have to find your own voice. And it is that way with anything. And and have faith in that. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I've kept you much longer than I intended to, and I appreciate you. Well, I was much later showing up than I intended to. <laughs> there you go. This was this was truly one of the great honors of my life, having you on my show, and I really appreciate you coming by. And let me tell you something. You have a standing and permanent forum here anytime you wish to discuss anything you wish. Thank you, and I will take advantage of that. And you've Please got do. my email address, so um, stay on me about the Top of the Pops things. Will do. Um, because I will get you some. I will haunt you every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, 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 maybe once a month. Okay. <laughs> every day, every day I'll just, I'm going to put you in that spam folder. <laughs> so before I let you go, could I get you to record a quick promo for my show? Absolutely. As long as it includes the words Nia Peoples and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you want to say is up to you. Okay, hang on. Uh, okay. Ready? And I'm I'm recording now, so anytime you're ready, shoot. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz. It's the place to be. Hi, this is Nia Peoples. You're checking out Brandon's Buzz. Fantastic. You are so terrific. I love you. <laughs> no worries. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> this was a great thrill, and thank you so much. My pleasure. Anytime, okay? <laughs> thank you. And I mean thank that. You. Okay. I'm going to take you up on that, too. Believe it. Yeah, do. And in, anything new that's going on with, with your, you know, just kind of throw it my way. And if there's something that I've got going that's, that I think might fit in there, I'll, I'll throw it at you, too. Fantastic. I love it. Okay. Good luck with everything. <laughs> thank you so much. Take care, Brandon. Bye. Nia Peoples, everybody. The fantastic Nia Peoples. Brandon's Buzz in the can for Friday, February 27th, 2009. Uh, come on back next week. I've got a full week next week. It's www.blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. Monday night, I have singer-songwriter Anna Eggy. Tuesday night, I have uh, former General Hospital star Rayal Andrews. Wednesday night, I have uh, a couple of girls who run the One Tree Hill web uh, 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 website. It is kind of the most comprehensive One Tree Hill site on the web that you can find, and those, go- those gals are great. We're going to talk about the show. We're going to talk about how they form their website. We're going to talk all about... Um, we're going to talk all about a lot of stuff with that show. It's Courtney and Nellie, and my best friend Sherry Ann is coming along to help me uh, to help me um, uh, co-host that show. So that's Wednesday. Thursday night, I have a great lady named Claire Massey from a fantastic um, 90s band called Tammy Show. Uh, you remember them from The Truth, from uh, Did He Do It To You, from She's Only 20. Great band, great gal. I can't wait to talk to her. So that's on Thursday. So come on back next week. It's a full week next week. You can check me out at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz, and you can listen to old shows and you can download old shows. Also, you can find me on iTunes. Type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes search box. My podcasts pop up. You can subscribe to the show and uh, have have shows kind of uh, download to your iTunes immediately when they're posted, or you can you can uh, download individual old shows as podcasts, and please do. I encourage you to do so. Also, my blog, brandonsbuzz.com, there is a full radio archive on my, on my blog in the radio section 
uh, and this this show will be posted sometime today. So you can listen to old shows, and you can also check out the great banners that my pal Joanne has made for to advertise each show uh, as they're posted. So it's great stuff. Brandon'sBuzz.com, iTunes, and BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/Brandon'sBuzz. Come on back next week, guys, and hang out with us on Brandon's Buzz. Please stay tuned for Brandon's Buzz. I'm Joan Van Ark, and the buzz is hot. This is Gloria Loring, and I've just been buzzed by Brandon, and I gave Brandon some buzz. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Gordon Thompson speaking. And I want to tell you that I have appeared on Brandon's Buzz, and I had a great time. And I think you will too, so please log on and have a listen.